at Mom Life presented by Kids Dentistry, welcoming new smiles at Kids Dentistry. With safety as their top priority and easy online scheduling for new patients, Kids Dentistry is where healthy smiles grow. Visit kidsdentistry.com. That's dentistry spelled D-E-N-T-I-S-T-R-E-E. Welcome to That Mom Life. I'm Sarah Jordan, and today I am joined by Patty. Patty has a doctorate of psychology. You're a clinical psychologist, correct? Yes, that's correct. So it is very ironic, and I haven't told you this. So you and I have become Instagram friends and very quickly have started going back and forth. And I tracked down a lot of people I know through Instagram because that's what this podcast has allowed me to do, which I love. It's like one of, I'll talk to some person, they'll recommend me to somebody else and then somebody else. And then it's kind of created this web. And I was talking to my one of my friends and I was like, I've never talked to a psychologist. And then literally that day you friended me and I was like, oh my gosh. Like, it's <laughs> like you, it's like you sensed me. Yeah. Yeah. And there you were. And then I saw we had some mutual friends and I was like, this was meant to be. And I was thrilled to find you. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I'm glad I was right there when you needed it. <laughs> you, you were. You were like, I should friend her today. So you're a clinical psychologist and you both have a full time job and your own business, correct? Yes, that's right. So I'm an organizational development psychologist at the Veterans Affairs Medical Center for my full-time job. And then on the side, I have a uh, private practice called Shine Psychology, which has kind of changed um, over the years. Before I had my last baby, I was taking on some individual clients, but lately I've just been doing some workshops through Level Up Louisville and I have a social media presence and I'm kind of working on some other things I want to offer to be able to put out some positive psychology into the world. Well, I love that. So overall, the point of shine psychology, you said when you say positive psychology, what does that mean? So um, positive psychology is a field that has a lot of research around well-being and how to move beyond baseline. So in traditional clinical psychology treatment, you are treating a diagnosable disorder like panic disorder, major depressive disorder, um, you know, OCD. So there's something diagnosed and we're treating it to try to, you know, take away the symptoms you're having. So you have some sort of acute um, distress or problem functioning. With positive psychology, it's kind of moving beyond baseline. So we've gotten you back to where you are not having symptoms from whatever this, you know, disorder may be, but how do we move beyond that? Um, so being able to look at your quality of life, well-being, um, health and gratitude, are you getting all your wanting out of life, able to live authentically? So that is kind of a big interest of mine, both in my organizational development work but also, um, you know, I want to be able to help engage people who are well to think about how they can go beyond baseline and kind of getting all they want out of life. So I, in my mind, I just made this into an insanely simple way of saying this, and I don't mean this in a sort of way, as opposed to just surviving, but thriving. Exactly. We want you to flourish. We want you to shine. That's how I came up with the name. Actually, my um, nickname growing up was uh, Patty Sunshine. And Aww. I was thinking through different words of how do we go beyond baseline to thrive, to flourish. And so I came up on shine and that was how I got the name. I love that. I love what that stands for. And I love that you're not just like treating the diagnosed problem, but overall, in my mind, like you said, it more of like enhancing overall life and trying to train people to be that way. 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I see a lot of benefit and I have a lot of really great friends who do, you know, uh, family work, clinical psychology for specific disorders, forensic psychology. But I've always kind of been just really interested in, you know, how we can do um, health and wellness coaching, but also kind of just, uh, you know, going beyond treating those disorders. And that is something I, I do have to say. I want people to know that if you are having um, symptoms of any of the disorders I described or any others, it is so treatable. And so working with a therapist who is licensed on those things, I think is really important. Um, and then my hope is to be able to work with people who have gone through therapy to work on, you know, whatever their trauma, depression, other things might be to then kind of, you know, focus on where to go from here. So, I mean, I think for me in some of my cases, I, I, I have two types of friends, the types of friends who are like good with therapists. This is the best thing you could do, whatever. And then I have the type of people that assume like, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't need, I don't need to do that. I don't, I'll be fine. I can figure it out. I'm just dealing with whatever. And how do you deal with I that? I have been there. So I've been there personally. I mean, I'm a psychologist and after I had my first daughter, I really suffered from postpartum anxiety and 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 felt like you know i can handle this i can you know get through it and you know even went to therapy and was working on the anxiety and physical symptoms and and managing it all and was resistant to taking a medication because as a therapist i'm like you know i don't need that so i totally get it that sometimes people you know are resistant to the idea of therapy or medication you know um and definitely, I know there's a lot of uh, things that people may have had experiences with in the past if they've had to, you know, go through things as a kid or seen family members go through things. Um, so I, I don't blame people for having hesitancy, but I really hope to be honest myself and open about how beneficial therapy can be. Um, and while I'm not providing you know, psychotherapy to folks who are in, you know, acute distress as part of my job right now. I just really hope people can see the benefits of that and, and really just be open to talking about it because, you know, we have so many great psychologists in Louisville and great practices. And a lot of times people don't even understand how to use their healthcare benefits, their insurance to access the care that they can get. So I just really want people to be, um, aware of what's available to them, you know, not to push people to do something that they don't want to do, but, um, help them understand what's available. I, I feel like you and I may need to have a sidebar. Cause I'm over here going, like, I have questions. Like sometimes it's like, yeah. when do people realize they need help? Like, do some people even, are they even aware that they're, for instance, struggling with anxiety? How do you identify when you're struggling to a point where, you know, you should ask somebody? I would say, for me as a psychologist, always if I'm saying, you know, is this something that we need to treat or change, a person would know if they are distressed about it and it's causing them distress or if it's impacting their functioning. So being able to live your life is impaired because of whatever symptoms you're having. You know, it's hard to leave the house or I'm, uh, you know, having a hard time getting through my regular activities of daily living like grooming, you know, showering, making myself food, being able, you know, those are signs that 
things aren't going well and and you might benefit from some help to either help you get functioning better or decrease your distress so that you aren't struggling so much. Um, I think a lot of times people wait till it gets really bad and then they're like, okay, I guess I'll try. Um, and I mean, you know, again, I'm not um, actively doing psychotherapy with veterans in my role at the VA. I do organizational development work now, but we have people that, you know, have experienced trauma 40, 50 years ago and they, you know, are waiting to seek treatment because they are kind of struggling with it. And, um, and, and we have evidence-based therapies that can really help people, again, like get beyond that to a point where they're more functional and less distressed every day. But it's hard, I think, you know, um, because our society tells us, you know, you've got to just like push through and you're okay and be an independent, um, you know, person. You don't need help from others. But I think if we can admit that, you know, things could be better than maybe, you know, talking to an expert, being able to work through what's going on. Um, you know, you never know. Maybe, maybe you can move beyond what you're struggling with. So I think that's something that, again, like when I was growing up, I think in, in beyond, a lot of times I felt like I was surrounded by some people that thought that anxiety was just an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. that it like it wasn't something real and it more or less was like just get yourself together like you're just saying that or that's more or less a, a almost like a scapegoat yeah. um to get out of something so it was almost just like i thought oh well we just you just got to deal with it you just got to deal with it and i i totally see what you're saying you don't necessarily have to wait until it's like so bad but i don't want to get too far down this road before I figure mm-hmm. out why you were called Patty Sunshine oh. and uh, figure out how, how you got on this path. I mean, good God, I could talk to you just about psychology this entire yeah. time, but I also want to talk about you specifically. So you grew up in Louisville. Yes. So I grew up in the Germantown area, um, you know, like Eastern Parkway, Preston Highway. That's my, my home. Um, all my people that I've been friends with forever grew up in that neighborhood. So whether we went to school together or just ran around together, um, Patty Sunshine, I think probably I got from family and friends. Um, I think my siblings would probably say I'm just like positive when, you know, I like to keep the peace, but I also really like to have fun and be goofy. And, uh, I think my smile was something they would comment on family friends and dimples i have dimples so that i think that's probably where it stemmed from um but yeah it was just always something they called me patty sunshine so (laughs) so patty sunshine grew up in louisville which what's fun about growing up here and then ending up working here um it is a small town in the sense mm-hmm. that, like you said, everybody starts to know everybody. And I mean, at one point I thought I was going to move away and then I certainly didn't move away. And it's just funny to me how those things work out. I mean, just like even connecting over to you, the second I started following you, I was like, oh, wait, you know this person, you know this person, mm-hmm. you know this person. And that is just one of those things that we are a very open community. But it's like if you didn't grow up here, you're missing that element of, oh, you grew up with this person. You went to high school with this person. You had a college class with this person. Yeah, yeah. I kind of just love that how you can have those like seven degrees of separation from everyone in Louisville. Everyone, yeah. <laughs> um, depending on, you know, some different connection, your school, your, you know, um, family. I mean, my in-laws, I um, 
my father-in-law has 12 brothers and sisters. So there's a lot of cousins. And so now that I'm married and have my husband's last name, um, I'll meet people and they're like, Oh, wider. Do you know, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm related somehow, <laughs> some way. So it's, yeah, I love Louisville for that reason. And you went to mercy. Yes. Yeah, so I went to mercy Academy and, um, I went when it was on Broadway, loved it. And, um, and then went to U of L. I also was like, I can't imagine moving away. I didn't even want to go to UK because I just couldn't imagine living. I mean, even outside of Germantown. So I moved, um, I moved out like a week after I graduated high school on my own, but, um, down the street from where I grew up. So literally on the same street. So, you know, it's, and then I lived there for eight years while I, um, was going through undergrad and grad school. And then for my um, uh, doctoral degree, I had to do an internship um, to become a psychologist. And that's pretty much like a residency for a physician. So you have to apply a bunch of places and then you get matched. You don't get a pick about where you go. And I knew I was going to have to move because there were not any health psychology internships in Louisville for me to do. So I ended up moving to St. Louis. I did my um, graduate training at Spalding University, which I loved, and um, then went to St. Louis to finish my degree by working for a year at the St. Louis VA. And I'm so glad that I moved because St. Louis is a fun city. I have a lot of great memories there, a lot of great friends there. It also helped me to appreciate Louisville and I think expand my horizons a little bit to just know like the world is a bigger place and you know I love Louisville but I could always move somewhere else if I wanted to and I think I appreciate certain things about Louisville like our food culture and our neighborhoods and you know the art scene and lots of music um but you know I just I feel like it was a really good experience to break out a little bit I totally agree. I mean, I used to want to go to end up in Chicago or a bigger city like that. But mm -hmm. then I went away to college only a couple hours away. And even just that much separation, I was in other I was in a smaller town when I went away to college. And I remember my roommates called me the city girl from being from Louisville. <laughs> and I was like, I am not the city. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what are you talking about? No, I'm not. But in comparison to them, I was like, at the time, I remember they had never had sushi. They had never been mm -hmm. to that city. Um, the things I had done, the shows I watched, like all of it was so like bewildering to them. Um, the education so I had received in high school was very different than the education they had received in high school. And they're smaller towns. And mm -hmm. so again, I was the farm girl or not the farm girl. I was a city girl. They were like, yeah. as they called themselves, the farm girls. I'm still friends with some of those roommates. But when I came back to Louisville, I agree with you. I was so... Like, I'm going to leave here. I'm going to leave here. But then when I was away for a little while, I was like, oh, I do appreciate this. I do appreciate that. I didn't realize how lucky I was to enjoy this. And so when I started my career at a very young age, most of the time in radio and TV, you move all around, all around the country. So I'm a, I'm a weirdo in that regard that I've only stayed here. I've just moved around the same, in the same company. Um, but I love being here now and I'm mm -hmm. not going to leave. So, but I, I love to travel. I do appreciate yeah. living here more yeah. than I did growing up. <laughs> yeah. I love the idea of being able to travel, you know, and even my husband and I potentially talk about like, you know what, when our kids are grown, what if we wanted to go live in another city, even for just, you know, a year or three years or something, 
you know, they, we, I just like the idea of having possibilities and not being afraid of doing something different um, or new. I love to learn. I love to have new experiences. And, um, you know, my godfather actually uh, travels a lot. That's kind of what he's done for his whole life. Um, after, uh, after he was in the Marines, he went and this is just like an aside, but he, uh, rides a motorcycle and has gone from Miami to Alaska. He's gone all over Australia. He spent months at a time in different countries in Asia, all over Europe. Um, he's written a few books, actually. They, his nickname is Beaner and he has written books called like Motorcycle Nomad and he's been an Easy Rider magazine and all this stuff. But like I've just grown up seeing him and thought like, oh, my gosh, that's so wild. But now I'm like, man, I want to go visit Vietnam. Man, I want to go visit, you know, the, the places he's been and and wrote about and told me about because, you know, we just live in this little bubble and I love to break out of it because it, it's really freeing because Louisville can also be this bubble that you're in that you think like, well, if I do this and that and these people I've known for 30 years judge me for it, then, you know, I have to, it just like kind of holds you back a little bit. But when you can break free of the idea that like, if, if the people here in Louisville were to not like how I'm living my life, like who cares? You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like when I was just like in this mindset of, only Louisville and honestly only like Germantown and thinking like, you know, I've got to live the life the you know, people expect me to. And if I, uh, you know, don't meet those expectations, then somehow that's a negative. I feel like, you know, being able to break out of that and just be like, you know what, who do I want to be? How do I want to live my life? What makes me happy? You know, you're able to have better boundaries around just, you know, your own happiness and self-care and you know doing the things you love so i think it's just better you know that way you don't have resentments about you know other people's judgments or something like that it's like just live your life do your thing and it, it just helped me to see that and honestly it was funny when i was in st louis i have more of an accent I don't know why my parents grew up in Louisville. My grandparents grew up in Louisville, but people think I sound like I'm from like Alabama. So when I was in St. Louis, people thought that I was from like the country. And I was like, well, Louisville's actually the biggest city in Kentucky. And they're like, yeah, whatever. You sound like (laughs) you grew up on a farm. I'm like, I have no idea what farm life is about. I grew up in downtown Louisville. So you did have city living. It, so I grew up in this area. My parents are actually from Cleveland. That's where I'm originally from. So I typically, do, I don't have the Southern drawl that actually is much uh-huh. more prominent around here than, uh-huh. <laughs> even if it's just specific pronunciations of words, yeah. it is more prominent with some people. Um, now, when did you actually meet your husband? So that's kind of interesting. Growing up in the neighborhood I did, I met his brother and all of his like a bunch of cousins and ran around with them when I was like 12 and 13, 14. Um, so he is two and a half years younger than me. Honestly, I didn't even like know he existed because you know, you're just, when you're a teenager, that's a big difference. But my best friend that I lived with all through undergrad and grad school, um, started dating his brother who I knew through my teenage years. And um, when they had been dating for maybe like a year, 
um, they planned a trip for spring break to go to Gulf Shores and invited me and um, invited him and some other um, people that we're friends with. And um, so we got to hang out then. And um, I was just like, he's hilarious. And he was so fun to be around. So we started hanging out once we got back to Louisville after spring break. And um, and it kind of just went from there. So even though we grew up and I mean, he went to St. Rose, I went to our mother's sorrows. We grew up like all around knowing tons of the same people. And, you know, a couple of his cousins, I would hang out with all the time as a teenager, but, um, we didn't really know each other until I was 22 and he was 19. So I rocked the cradle a little bit with that, but, um, <laughs> actually he's closer in age to my younger sister and she kind of knew him, you know, through the neighborhood and was like, Patty, do you know how old he is? And I was like, I don't know. And she was like, he, I think he's closer to my age. So it was just funny. And, you know, again, it's like a little thing, but, um, but yeah, I went from there. So we've been together 13 years now. I love that. You guys met, roughly you and I are roughly around the same age like within a year mm -hmm. my husband and I this will be year 13 that we've been together married for this will be year 11 we'll be celebrating mm -hmm. our 11th anniversary but our mutual best friends like I grew up with her around here he grew up with him in Owensboro Kentucky and then um our best friends met at UofL and they were dating and then eventually Joy messaged me and she was like hey do you want to go out to dinner he was the best man in our wedding I think you'll really like it we'll double date it'll be great and I was like okay fine it's it's free dinner I'll go and yeah. um we went out and then we've been together since I was 21 yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's about three and a half years older than me, but, um, I love when like mutual friends and like things like that just happen to work out that way. Yeah. So it worked out really well for us. So my friend, we've been friends, uh, probably since I was like 10 or 11. And then, like I said, lived together through college. She's now my sister-in-law because she married Eric's brother and then I married him. And so that worked out. And the best part, honestly, our three-year-olds are three months apart from now, two months apart from each other. And they are best friends. And it is so fun that they're cousins because they're just so funny together. Okay. That's adorable. Uh -huh. So that you've got the, uh, my friends and I used to always call it and use like the hashtag, hashtag, like best friends, raising best friends. Yes. Um, and that is so perfect. That is adorable. It so, is. <laughs> so you, you, then you met your husband when you all were relatively young. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I went through our twenties together and got married. Um, and uh he went with me to st louis when i did my um, internship there so that was a really fun year because we got married in may and then moved in august and so we got to have pretty much the first year of our marriage on our own in st louis um having that adventure together so i really loved that you know he was game to move with me um and uh i, I just think it was great for us well, that's a really fun first year of marriage because you're getting to mm -hmm. explore. You don't have kids yet and like those types of responsibilities, obligations, et cetera. So you really just yeah. get to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. We got a dog. We got to just like figure out. We we figured out the neighborhood we lived in in St. Louis was great. Tower Grove South. Um, there was a park nearby. South Grand. We got to go to all the restaurants. And St. Louis is similar to Louisville with like food scene, neighborhoods, how like each neighborhood has its own little personality. And um, so we got to do so many fun things there and make friends. And 
kind of helped us once we were back in Louisville to think about like, you know, where do we want to live here? We live in um, the Highlands near Tyler Park now. And honestly, some people were like, you want to move? You don't want to live like right, you know, where um, we lived before, which was kind of like Germantown, Auburn Park area. But when we lived in St. Louis, we loved walking everywhere so much in that neighborhood that we lived in. And so it just really helped us to talk a lot about like what we want, you know, with raising our kids and our neighborhood and like our day-to-day life. And, um, and so, yeah, now we uh, live in a neighborhood similar to the one we used to live in where we can walk to Tyler Park. We can go, you know, pre-COVID to like all these restaurants and places and, um, and our neighbors are the best. I just love like the neighborhood that we're in with, you know, the relationships we have with other kids that live around and, um, and other folks who live on my street. So it's been great. It was a struggle to move last year, but it, it's been a really great, you know, process now. And I just feel like he, he and I are so much on the same page with just like some of our dreams and, you know, being able to do fun things. So you guys now have three children, correct? Yes. Three daughters. Three daughters. And now wait, you said you have, you're one of four siblings. So four children, you have three, you're one of three sisters and then you have a brother, correct? Yes. So I'm number two of four. There's three girls and then a boy. And then my older sister has four daughters and my younger sister has two daughters. So there are nine granddaughters between us. And then my brother is um, 23. So he's just in the middle of all of that. And he is the best like younger brother and uncle to all of these females. (laughs) Um, So I'm always just like, you know, one day when you um, find a partner, you know, I feel like you're just going to have all of this experience of how to deal with women because... (laughs) you've got all of these women around you. So yeah, we've got the, the girl power vibes going strong in my family. Um, I would say so. Also in my mind, I'm like, Ooh, lots of hand-me-downs. You can just exchange oh, yeah. clothes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've got a, the, between me and my sisters, that's just like all the time. We're like exchanging clothes. And, um, my older sister always says that, uh, people, people at her work will know when like I've cleared out my closet and been like, here, do you want this? Do you want this? Cause she'll come in in new clothes. And they're like, did you go shopping in your sister's closet? <laughs> Cause it's like, I don't know. I have a lot of work wear type of things. So, um, but yeah, it's the best, honestly. I love having a big, well, you know, it's, it's not that I have a huge family like my husband, as far as a lot of cousins. Um, but I do have like this really tight knit sibling, um, relationship. Uh, we have a Snapchat where we just are always, you know, talking back and forth. We support each other. Um, and I just love it. So, and then all my nieces, I'm so, so proud of my nieces that are teenagers now and watching them grow up. And, and then with my younger sister, you know, she has little ones like I do. And, um, so we get to kind of go through that mom journey together And both of us apologized to my older sister because we were like, oh my gosh, we were horrible before we had kids. We thought we knew. And we're like, how did you do it? How have you raised four girls? I don't know. I'm just amazed by her because, yeah, looking back when I did not have kids, I was like, oh, I'd give like helpful advice or thought I knew. And then I had my first daughter and I was like, you are just amazing. And I'm sorry that I ever judged. So it is really hard once until you start having kids like to 
you think you were being helpful before, but then all of a sudden everything takes on a whole new meaning when yeah. it, you're, you're suddenly experiencing it and you're like, Oh my God, that was terrible advice. Or, Oh, I should have never have said that. Yeah. I know. It's just, you know, you live and you learn, but, um, I, uh, I went through that. And then when my younger sister had her first daughter, she was just like, Oh my gosh, you get a whole new level of understanding of like, what support a mom needs and you're just like why would I ever judge you know there's there's just so much we can do to support women um you know when they have a new baby and honestly new dads too but you know there's just all these physical aspects you go through with pregnancy childbirth um and beyond you know all the um the changes that happen so it's just like you know we can we can support women and um, and that's what me and my sisters try to do for each other now, but you know, you learn. You learn. So you did mention that after your first, you were experiencing p- postpartum and you didn't even really fully recognize it at first. What was going on after you had your oh, first? Oh my gosh. It was the hardest time of my life, which you think, okay, I have a newborn, you know, I'm just going to have this blissed out, like loving time. But the first three months were horrible. So, um, Probably within like a week after I had her, I was just really nauseous and um, and having insomnia. So that started about a week after, and I went to my midwife and said, "Hey, you know this is going on." And they tried to give me some nausea medication, did not help, and I was just really struggling because I couldn't eat enough because I was just feeling I wasn't you know getting sick, but just constantly nauseous. And, um, and so probably about 10, 11 days after I had her, I started having panic attacks because I had gone like, at one point I went like 36 hours without sleeping. Like I went through a whole night where I, I took ZQL. I was like, let me just knock out. My husband took the baby and was like, you know, just go knock out. And I could not fall asleep. And, um, And so then I started having panic attacks and I think, you know, and again, I wasn't like worried. So it wasn't that in my mind, I was like, you know, anxiety is I'm worried the baby will get hurt or I'm worried that this will happen. There weren't like these thoughts rolling through my head that were worrying me, but it was physical, you know, anxiety popping up and, um, and panic, you know, eventually because I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. And then, once that starts setting in, you're like, well, what if I, you know, can't get this under control? What if I have to go back to work eventually? I have to take care of this baby. My husband's going back to work. And I, you know, then all the thoughts started popping up. But the initial symptoms were just not being able to really eat or sleep because I was so nauseous. Um, and so that went on for three months off, or off and on. I mean, I would wake up at like 4 a.m., in just like a panic. Um, it was just a lot of physical symptoms. And um, luckily, I had a lot of support. Um, so, you know, my family supportive, but also um, my I did a lot of prenatal um, yoga whenever I was pregnant with my daughter at Owl Tree Yoga, which is not open anymore. But Heather Molina was my doula. She was a yoga instructor there. Um, and I, I've had all my births without medication and I was very focused on, you know, having like this birth experience. And I think a lot of women do that, but she was checking in with me after I had my daughter 
and like, hey, how's it going? And like really recognizing like, yeah, this is a lot more than just your typical like, you know, maybe you have the baby blues or whatever for the first couple weeks. Um, and so I got in, you know, to see a therapist because obviously I'm a psychologist. I'm like, yeah, this isn't normal. I knew this is not normal. Um, but even seeing the therapist and working through that, you know, things were not getting um, better. And for me, you know, with all these physical symptoms, eventually I started an SSRI. So an antidepressant medication, which is not addictive and it is not, you know, going to be something that um, affects your baby. Um, but I was really resistant to it and didn't start it for like three months. And so I was having these off and on panic attacks for a long time. Um, but Heather got me connected to some new moms groups at the Diaper Fairy Cottage, which is not open anymore. Um, but on Barstown Road, there's a spot. So they um, did cloth diapering and have a little shop. And a woman named Emily McKay, who's very good friends with Heather, uh, owned it. And um, so I started going to the new moms groups like once or twice a week. Um, and that was just like critical to me at that time because, I mean, it didn't make like panic stop or anything like that. But whenever I would go there and I could like talk to people about what was going on and hear from them, you know, about what their experiences have been or just hear that like, I'm sorry, that sucked, you know? And Emily was the best, you know, you'd walk in, she'd be like, hey, can I get you a hot tea? You know, go sit down. Oh, you need to go to the bathroom? Let me hold your baby. You know, like just having that made that whole time frame bearable. And, um, you know, eventually I got through it, but that's like my mom crew now. All my friends that I met at that time who have six-year-olds, um, that's, you know, like my ride or die group. Um, and unfortunately, um, in uh, 2017-18, um, Emily was struggling and had uh, cancer and she ended up passing away. Um, and so that has just been a, you know, a, a learning journey for me of like having someone so critical to me in that time of my life and that I ended up becoming very good friends with. And she was like a model to me for how she was a mom, a business owner, a working, working mom, you know, but also just a person like she was vibrant. She was living her life, like living her best life. Seriously. If you, anyone who's listening to this, if you didn't know Emily, I'm sorry, but go back and listen to her five things podcast from um, WFPL. She did one while she was um, being treated for cancer. And then she did another one um, once she got to the stage of um, hospice care and talked about just her outlook on life. And I mean, changed my life kind of sent me into a little bit of an existential crisis for a while because I'm like how do I move forward with thinking about like what's life all about you know she was only 42 I think when she passed she has a daughter and a husband and had this vibrant life and I'm like that's not fair but I feel like I've gone through a lot of like work to think about what's important to me and what I learned from her of just honestly the most the like critical thing is just like being authentic, living your life while you can. And 
um, being your authentic self. And I think she was just a role model of that. And then also how to do death, because once she realized like this is not going to be curable and, and worked through all that. And I mean, she is a freaking beast in the way that she fought cancer, but also the way that she accepted that at a certain point and then said, okay, well, how am I going to do death? You know, she had a whole thing set up in her living room called a, a cuddle huddle, which was a bed in her living room where it was all decorated. She was like, this is my spot where I'm going to see visitors. And, you know, what do I want to do with the months that I might have left of my life? And she lived it up. Um, and, and then just like even beyond her life. So her celebration of life was at the Speed Art Museum. There were like 900 people there. She um, was cremated and had like, there's this thing you can do where there's like biodegradable glitter that went in with her ashes. And she had a piece of jewelry made from it for her mom. She has her ashes sprinkled different places that her husband and her daughter have taken. And um, I, I mean, I know that this sounds different than the most, like the way most people do death, but like, I mean, just she went into death the same way she lived her life, which was so authentic to who she was. You know, I think a lot of people, my dad has always said, for instance, that at my funeral, you better be celebrating my life, not mourning my death. And yes. he always says, you better be doing this, this and this. Otherwise I'm going to haunt you. And most of it revolves around like, don't you dare be over here being super sappy and ridiculous. I want you literally throwing a party in my honor. Yeah. Um, I, will... I mean, at the, at the funeral service at the church, um, they played a, um, song, uh, the dog days are over, you know? Um, and you know, everybody's kind of like crying, like they're playing this song and then her daughter started clapping along to it. Uh, and it just broke out into a dance party, like everyone clapping, crying, singing the song in the church. So if that doesn't tell you anything, it's like, that's how we do it. You love someone so much and then you honor their life by saying, yeah, I'm so glad I got to love somebody that much. So, you know, I will, I will never forget. Um, I think it's, it's, I think it's a lot different for people. Clearly it's not something you and I have experienced, but with something like cancer, perhaps in which you have time to really think about that and sit in that. Um, we work with the children's hospital a lot. And there was this one boy named Andrew and I met him on his third, when he was 13 and he had already beat cancer once at the time. And he wanted to be this famous author. I remember the twilight books were his favorite. Mm -hmm. Well then, um, we ended up working with him every year at Radiothon and he used to come down to the station to be my mess guest DJ. And then I remember we threw him a 16th birthday party because he never thought he was going to make it to 16. And so oh we threw him his big birthday party and then we found out he was in hospice and it came back. Mm -hmm. And when he was in hospice, he requested myself and one of my other coworkers to come see him. And mm -hmm. so when we went down there, he hadn't talked to people in very long and he wanted to, he started talking to us and his mom was surprised and he wanted to show us these pieces he had been writing because all along he wanted to be a writer and he had written all these satires about death 
and he wow. was, and he was like laughing and he was like i hope this doesn't make you uncomfortable but this is just kind of like my way of dealing with this was yeah. more or less to like create these pieces and to like laugh and be funny even though like obviously at the root of it he knew he was dying um mm -hmm. But that was just, I mean, you're talking like not even an 18 year old kid at the time. Um, yeah. And that was so wise. And it, just 100%. like, you know, I mean, being able, obviously we struggle. Obviously there are bad days. Obviously there are days where we, we want to cry and scream and rage and all of that. And yet like being able in the middle of all that chaos to be like, you know what, what can I do? What can I control? I can't control all this sucky stuff, but what can I control? That is like the essence of just optimism to me. A hundred percent. And like, you know, I when he laughed, we laughed. It was like, yeah. if this is what you want us to do, this is what we're going to do. Um, and I was so happy that in that moment, we were actually one of the last people he ended up speaking to and everything like that. And I was like, I was glad. I think it's just a, a lot different when people are have to prep for that. They have to get their brain into a different space. Mm -hmm. um, to be almost, whether it's acceptance or et cetera. And I mean, those people do change your life. And so I can totally see how she changed yours, especially being there for you at such a crucial time. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 again, going back to the fact that you are a psychologist now suddenly dealing with postpartum, not knowing what's going on. And mm -hmm. I say this to people all the time, and I'm sure you do too. When, when, you start having kids, heck, each pregnancy is different. Each labor is different. Mm -hmm. Each kid's different. Every single time you end up trying to figure out yourself again, your body again, the baby yes. again. And you're like, I swear I've done this before. I yeah. swear I thought I knew what I was doing, but every time it's different. I mean, my third was my hardest pregnancy because I was older, but then that, that labor went totally different than what I thought it would be. But then she was the most difficult baby to get to sleep. And I ended up hiring mm -hmm. someone to help me with that. And I mean, it was just like, this is my third kid. I should know what I'm doing by now. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. All right. So, you know, I've, I've definitely had that experience. Um, my first was, at, like I said, you know, I had prepared and wanted, you know, done all this prenatal yoga. I had a typical progression of my labor. She came on her due date after about like 11 hours of labor. I was able to, um, you know, birth her without any medication. And that was wonderful for me. I was so happy. Okay. Second baby came at 39 weeks. Labor was about an hour. She was born in Good my Lord. car. And, wait, wait, and wait, then, wait, 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 what? Yeah. So that was, um, that any time for the rest of my life when they're like, you know, tell an interesting story about yourself. That's, that's mine always. You so, had a baby in a car. Yeah. On Jackson street, right outside UofL at two in the afternoon with a full like audience of strangers on the street. So, um, how, how did you not? Okay. I guess my question is, did, did, how long was your first labor? Uh, about 11 hours. Okay. So how did it end up that your second labor was only one hour? Did you not realize you were in labor and that's how you ended no. up in the car? I mean, I'm sure my body must've been doing something, but I was not like I've had three, uh, births without medications. I know what labor feels like, but no, I was not, not laboring to the point of me knowing it. Um, it was just, so my mom had all four of us without medication and had us very quickly. Um, but you know, all of us, she made it to the hospital with all of us, but even my, when I was born, I was delivered by a nurse because the doctor didn't get there in time. 
Um, so she got to Norton, but then like it was very quick. So I knew that there were, you know, quick labors in my family. My older sister had C-sections um, because of complications. And so, you know, that was her experience was the scheduled delivery. And then, um, so actually like a week before I had my second daughter, one of my mom's friends was like, you know, she, she had them quick. So just know, you know, sometimes the second ones come quicker. And then somebody actually that I work with um, told me her story of delivering her second very quickly who actually came um, outside the hospital uh, in Indiana. And so I'm very grateful she told me that story. And then I work with a lot of veterans who have delivered babies while they were in service at like medical facilities. And just so I had stories, people, you know, everybody tells you stories, but I'm actually grateful that they had shared with me a little bit about it because I had some tips in mind when it started happening to me. So, um, basically, um, yeah. So I knew that like sometimes second babies just come quicker that morning. I woke up, you know, was uncomfortable, but you're 39 weeks pregnant. You're just like, Oh, everything hurts, whatever. Went to work, um, was in clinic, saw a patient was, um, you know, doing my job and, um, actually on my lunch is when my water broke. So luckily I was not at work um, because uh, I just, you know, it's embarrassing if your water's going to break at work, but <laughs> my water broke. And so I called my husband. I'm like, you know, I need you to come home, um, went and changed my clothes. Um, so you could meet me there, but that's when contraction started. So I had already called my midwife ahead and said, Hey, do you want me to go ahead and come to the hospital? I'm not having contractions, but my water broke. And she said, yeah, go ahead. Um, but within 15 minutes after that, I started having contractions and I thought these are really intense and seem like they're coming quickly compared to what I know of how labor starts. And they were, once I timed them, they were like one to two minutes apart. So, um, you know, he got home and I was only going from like Germantown area to U of L, which is, maybe like 10 minutes, but we jump in the car. And by the time we pulled out onto Preston, I was like, nope, my body's like bearing down. So tips, if it ever happens to you and you're laboring in the car, one, <laughs> if a baby is going to come out, you can't have pants on and you can't be <laughs> sitting, right? Like a baby has to come out. So God, I had on these big basketball shorts of his, took those off, turned over on all fours, laid the front seat back because, um, again, like from my friends who have been in the military, they were like, you know, you, if a baby is coming out and you're sitting, that can be harmful to the baby. So anyways, um, we're driving down there. He had to like, it was like a movie, seriously. I'm like, please drive safe. And he's trying to call back to the hospital, let the midwives know. We didn't know where to pull in at UofL because, you know, our thought was you pull into the parking garage, you walk in and you have a baby. But now I'm like, no way. So he actually was pulling around like road work that was happening downtown and they had like the stop sign up and he's honking and just pulling through cars and then went around the block. We didn't know where we were going. But yeah, he pulled up, ran inside. And that was the only time that I was like a little bit scared because I was by myself. And I was like, okay, like my body was bearing down on its own. I was not pushing, but it was happening. I could feel like her head. So he runs in, tells the front desk, like we need help, runs back out. They call a code, whatever. Two nurses run out. One gets in my front seat. One opens the passenger door right by me. And then my husband's in the back 
passenger like talking to me and they were like are you going to be able to walk i'm like no then he said they i was like in the zone not paying attention but they looked at each other and were like okay let's do this so i had her and within like 30 seconds of them running out and then the midwife came down cut the cord in my car i got out realized there's like 15 people watching me <laughs> you know i'm like looking around like oh i'm pantsless in the afternoon downtown on the street um but i was just like give me my baby put her on my chest and went inside and that was it we so, so you ended up at the hospital post yes. having a baby well yeah so i was outside when she actually so like on the highway when we were getting there i could feel that her head was coming out and so then we were right there outside the hospital and a nurse caught her in my car it's i so okay my mom had three girls all without medicine and so i was also this predetermined person to do this mm -hmm. um and my first i was in labor over 14 hours and then i was just mm -hmm. like okay i'm done like you're gonna have to give me something but then i hated the epidural mm -hmm. anyway he was head down but face up so I, he got stuck yes but mine were the same way it was a lot of back labor yes the second i went in and i didn't realize i was in early labor so mm -hmm. my daughter kennedy she was an all-natural birth i had no pain pills nothing mm -hmm. whatsoever and i remember i got in the bathtub at the hospital too late into labor because by the time i got in there i just felt like a beached whale who was drowning yeah and so I, had to, I was like get me out of the bathtub this is making me crazy and the second i stood up i was like get me back in the bed now yeah and she's coming <laughs> 100%. I said something just changed. And then I hear my mother-in-law say she should have gotten an epidural. And I hear my mom just silently weeping because I was screaming. And I was like, um, get both of them out of the room now. Mm -hmm. And by the time they sat down in the waiting room, she was out. Yeah. I mean, the nurse you turned went, that corner and it oh. is just from, uh, <laughs> what do they, they call it like transition when you go to that final stage of labor. But yeah, it's like you go with my third. That's you know, my, once my water actually broke, she was out within 15 minutes and it goes from like, okay, you know, each contraction you're fine between, but then once you're, you know, in that transition, you're like, oh, I can't do this. I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. And then they're basically almost out. So hundred percent. And that's what happened with my second, like I, the, the room wasn't set up. The bed wasn't set up. Mm -hmm. I just, I said, she's coming. And the nurse was like, you need to wait for the doctor. I said, I can't wait yeah, for the doctor. Yeah, she like, just slid what? down. She's coming out now and the yeah. nurse looked at me and she goes actually i have it i've delivered a lot of babies and so i delivered her on the side of the hospital bed not like mm -hmm. how you're usually positioned it was completely mm -hmm. off the side of the bed the doctor ran in like barely had her gloves on and caught her yeah um so yeah. that was a fun experience um yeah and then and my third didn't come till 41 and a half weeks so that was the challenge of that you know i, I was so prepared for this like quick wild birth that I had with my second at 39 weeks. And then I spent three weeks thinking all the time, like I have to be prepared. What if I go into labor? And then she like was totally resistant to coming. She, so, <laughs> but I did have her over in Indiana at the tree of life birth center. And it was wonderful. If I can recommend to anyone who's considering. Is that the one in Clarksville? Yes. Right so, near um, one of, Clark Memorial. It's yep, the best. One of my friends is a nurse there. Um, they are so, amazing. I love them all. <laughs> in between. So at, 
after, right after I had Kennedy all natural, a piece of my placenta got stuck. And so mm-hmm. I had to go immediately into surgery. Um, yeah. so I wouldn't bleed out fun times. Um, yeah. so it like what I thought was the most amazing birth experience turned into my scariest birth experience. Cause yeah. it all happened so fast. I woke up so confused and then due to the blood loss and everything, I ended up having mm-hmm. a lot more issues from that. Well, then they discovered later because of my dad that I have this blood clotting disorder. Mm-hmm. So I technically should have been high risk with all of my pregnancies. Yeah. So then they induced me at 39 weeks with my third and my body was not ready to go naturally. I tried for 12 hours and yeah. I, it was the most pain I've ever been in. I thought my body was being ripped in half. And I eventually was like, you have to give me an epidural. And I remember there was this nurse, Janet over at Baptist Floyd and Janet is a specialist in all natural birth. And she was my mm-hmm. nurse in my second uh, birth as well and help me through it. I'm like holding on to this woman's chest. I don't know Janet. She's just my nurse yeah, twice in labor, yeah. nurses, but I'm holding on to her chest. Our nurses. And I just got to say, they are like oh. angels. Oh, she was my, during the first one, I remember Janet got me through it. And when they had to take me back into the OR, I was screaming for Janet. Cause I didn't know what was going yeah, on. Like, she's so, my person. And then in the third one, she was there. She happened to be the nurse on duty. And I was like, it's all going to be okay. The best. Oh, I cried happy tears. But then after about 12 hours in, Janet's trying to help me and I'm crying into Janet while holding on to her. And I was like, Janet, I failed. I failed. I'm not no. going to be able to go all naturally. And as they're like, hold still through contractions while you're getting an epidural, holding still during contractions every 60 seconds is very hard. Um, yeah. And she goes, Sarah, it's not like you're going to get a free hospital stay if you, yeah. <laughs> if you don't get an epidural. Honestly, I feel like sometimes when I talk to people about my birth experiences, they think I'm going to like judge anybody who has a different birth experience. And I just feel like as women, we have to support each other. My whole thing is like, I want women to have informed choices yes, and be empowered and not shamed at all for however anything goes. And same thing for like breastfeeding or not, or whether you're, you know, whatever. I feel like we don't get to control a lot of things. And, you know, again, like I'm thankful for medicine and thankful for all of the options we have to help women survive childbirth that, you know, maybe years ago wouldn't have because, you know, things like that happen. And it's like, I feel like if we could just be, you know, more um, informed and supporting women, then people wouldn't have to feel like, you, you know, it's not a failure. You just birthed a baby. That's freaking amazing. No matter how they got into this world. Like, I, and the thing is, is like, people are like, oh, well you have a healthy baby. So, and it's like, no, like I'm allowed to either like grieve the experience or feel some type of way about like, holy shit, that was crazy. Like I just, and, and, and I just have to say also to, to know that there are, you know, um, women who, get neglected in this whole process. So like the mortality rate for black women is just unacceptable. You know, I just feel as a whole, like we need to do better to make sure women have informed choices. We listen to them and we do not shame them for any of the like different ways that they birth babies, they feed babies, they raise babies. Like, no, we, at the we end of the day, you grew a human. I you mean, literally grew a human inside of your body it is the most amazing thing oh and however they exit your body that part doesn't matter you grew a human like (laughs) it like talk about existential like you think about life and death stuff and then you think about that like i 
this part, these, this little thing in there was like cells. And then all of a sudden they have a soul when there's like a person outside of your body walking around. It's, you know, like, I have often said to people like the closest I've ever had to a spiritual experience yes. is labor itself. Yes. And I, my husband thinks I'm nuts. Cause he was like, you've been screaming in pain. It's some of my favorite moments as a couple, oh, the three times yes. we've been in labor. Um, it is the most wondrous thing I've ever watched my body do, even though each time yeah. turned out differently. The first time was the scariest, the longest, hated my epidural. But then the second one, I was yeah. all natural. But then I had a scary experience with my placenta. Again, you can never know what's going to happen. And then know. the third yeah. time, I ended up with an epidural. It was the best epidural. I could still yeah. feel everything. And I casually looked at my husband and I said, hey, the baby's coming out. I can feel a breeze. And mm. he was like, what? What did you say? And I said, go get the nurse. The baby's coming. And she came back in. She's yeah. like, you're probably not ready yet. I just checked you. And she goes, Oh no, no, the baby's here. I pushed exactly. one like, time. No, I know. I pushed one time. And there she was. And it ended up being like the best experience overall, worst pain at the beginning. I so love, I mean I just want women to have good experiences. Yes. Like, and know? I ha I do have people that have even on this podcast have told me horror stories about their labor mm -hmm. experience. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, 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 no. No, you can't control your body. You can't control your baby in that moment. You're right. Informed choices. Well, but like at the end of the day, if you grew human that human exited your body and you're feeding that human that is all that matters how you're feeding them how you birth them it doesn't well, matter and being able to let women like have emotions about it like you are able to say like that was horrible that was traumatic i was afraid i was going to die or that something would happen to the baby or like mm -hmm. because people have to bottle that stuff in it just gets so much worse but the more we can just talk about things and be real and authentic about it then we don't have to have shame or guilt or whatever and yeah i just i love birth i, I was there when my sister gave birth to her two <laughs> um kids and and that was the best like sister experience for us and um and she had the same nurse, Jordan, over at um, <laughs> Baptist for both of her births. So it was like, yeah, we get the same nurse, you know. Isn't so, it funny? I mean, These people that so you know, great. the people you know for literally like two total days of your life. Yes, sometimes you're like, like, I will never forget them. I will never forget Nurse Janet over at that hospital. Yeah. She got me through times like and experiences that I, I don't even understand. She's just the most mm -hmm. amazing person ever. And then, I mean... This is, you and I could talk forever. And I just looked up and I'm like, we've already been talking for an hour. We're going to have to do a part two of you soon. Because for it's sure. like, this, this is, is the best. I love talking. <laughs> oh, I love talking as well, obviously. But the whole reason I started this podcast was I realized I had an amazing support group of women. I had friends, I had sisters, mm -hmm. I had friends that were labor and delivery nurses, lactation mm -hmm. consultants. My best friend's mom was a lactation consultant. Yes. I had these amazing resources and was able to make it successfully breastfeeding all three of my children exclusively. Yeah. I got, I had those choices. I had those informed decisions, but so many people I know didn't have them. So I was like, the least I can do is do something for other women and introduce them to other women. So they don't feel so they feel less alone. So they get inspired. They learn something, um, Absolutely. or they share a laugh. So, I mean, I am so beyond glad that I was able to track you down. We seriously need to do another episode. You're I would love to. I love just chatting with you about mom life. I'm oh, so I love glad it. you're this because our community is so lucky to have this, you know, kind of space for moms to be moms and, you know, hear about what everybody else is going through as whatever, you know, struggles or celebrations they might have. Emily always called them roses and thorns. And so I just love when moms can come together on that stuff and just be real. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. You're you're gonna make me cry over strange things. Again, I, know, I just think I the know. world the world zens out in such strange ways for me. One of my mm -hmm. friends, um, her and I knew each other through mutual friends, and then I invited her on the podcast. And her and I have become the closest of friends in the last year, really getting through the pandemic together. Mm -hmm. And her and I almost on a daily basis now send each other roses and thorns videos. Aww. I so we literally send each other like, here's some really happy rose things. And then we end with some thorns and we get each other through it. And um, Patty, I am convinced that you and I were meant to be friends at this point. Oh, I love it. I love Our, new authentic friends. So paths you know, to cross yes. and they're going to continue crossing. And I cannot wait to have you on again. If people want to track you down, um, where can they find you on social media? So on Instagram, it is at Shine Psychology. And then I also have a page on Facebook, Shine Psychology. And I have lots of fun things on there. I'm doing a class for Level Up soon about houseplant care because I'm just into that too. So come follow me. Lots of fun. Hopefully we can become friends on, on social media. I would love to connect with more people and have this authentic community.